Thank you, Ben. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word, um, to gather uh, around the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that we might hear from your word, that we might hear from you, so that we might know how to follow you and know how to trust you with our life. Uh, Would you take just a moment right where you're seated to ask the Lord to speak to you? Uh, from his word this morning. Lord, thank you that as we sang, you are faithful and true. So we pray that we would see your faithfulness and that we might the object of our faith be solely placed on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, well, good morning. It is uh, great to be together. As Michelle said, we're, we're really grateful that you're here and I uh, want to welcome you as well to, to gather with us as a church and to, to worship the Lord together. It's great to be together uh, this morning. Uh, a number of years now, there was kind of an inflection point in my life and uh, I, had, uh, I was about to move to Dallas. I was about to um, start Dallas Seminary full-time um, and work at a church called Dallas Bible Church part-time. And so I had this plan. I was, this was kind of the plan moving forward. And then I got a call from a church that I had worked at in Colorado uh, when I was in college. And they said, hey, we have an opening. Uh, Would you consider coming here and being uh, our full-time youth pastor? Maybe you could go to Denver Seminary part-time. And I was like, wow, what a difficult choice. Uh, and, and I remember thinking, this is, this is a huge thing. I, I love this church in Colorado. I was there. I knew them. And I just love Colorado because we're Texans and we love Colorado, right? Uh, but the other side is like, this is my home church. I was going back to home, coming back home and family and friends here in Dallas. And so this inflection point and this difficult decision uh, to be forced to make in that moment. Uh, and I remember thinking, even then as a young man, just going, this is kind of an inflection point decision for me. This, this decision is going to have so many implications, uh, the, for the trajectory of my life for the next 10 plus years. Um, you know, and I look back on it now and think if it had not come to Dallas, I probably wouldn't have met Mandy. We probably wouldn't have gotten married. Probably wouldn't be in Texas right now. And I probably wouldn't be sweltering in this heat uh, that we're all experiencing. No, I'm just kidding. But it was a, a moment right, where the implications of that decision were profound. And so how do we make decisions? How do we make decisions like that, whether it's big, life-altering kind of decisions, or how do we make decisions that are small, everyday decisions? Uh, the reality is we're always making decisions. I mean, we are constantly making decisions, big or small. And, and how do we do that? Maybe we're, you know, here, here's an example. Like, so today, uh, how many of you would like to go, and if I said, you got a job, and you're going to work from two to six, you can either work outside or you can work inside. How many choose to work inside? Yeah, very good. Yes, okay. We choose to work outside. Anybody? Glutton for punishment? Oh, okay, a couple people going for this heat today. Uh, but we choose that right because it's, a, it's an easy choice. We want to be inside in the air conditioning in, in August or July in, in Texas. Uh, or maybe it's a harder decision where it's, okay, I, uh, you come to the, to the restaurant and say, hey, sweet tea or unsweet tea? Well, I like sweet tea, but I'm not sure that sugar's good for me. I'm not sure what my doctor would say about that. I'm not sure what my spouse would say about that. How, what should I, how should I decide about sweet tea or unsweet tea? We're constantly making decisions. And so how do we make decisions? Well, what do we typically do? We typically decide, hey, I, I, I want to do this. I'm just going to do it. I, I want to do it. Or sometimes we, we take, make decisions kind of based upon this sort of pros and cons list. It, whether we actually write that down or not, we're thinking that way. 
are constantly thinking pros, cons. What do I think? What, you know, what would be better? What do I value if, as I make a decision? Or maybe we, we make decisions based upon what other people would think. You know, what does my doctor say about that? Uh, what, does my, what does my family say? What do my friends say? Make decisions based upon what other people would think for us. Or maybe we just make a decision because it's just the easiest decision to make. It's expedient, it's comfortable, makes it easy. Let's just do that. But how do we make decisions by faith? And that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks, this throughout this whole summer. Hebrews 11, this chapter of scripture that highlights the faith of those who've gone before us in a way to show us and to point us towards trusting in the same object of faith that they had in the Lord. So how do we make decisions by faith? And as we heard in the reading, we're going to talk about Moses. And, and you saw in this reading this sort of, you know, over and over kind of choice, rather, rather than, rather than this choice of, of how did he make decisions. But I want to remind us quickly, before we get to Moses, where we've been in Hebrews, and especially what Hebrews 11 says about faith. And if uh, you've been with us, you heard this the first week. But Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. So faith is this assurance, this very firm word of things we hope for. And it's this conviction, again, sort of this confidence in things unseen. Now, I don't know about you, but I, 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 like to, I like to see what's coming. I like to walk by sight. I want to know what's coming. I want to see what's happening. I don't want to walk around with my hand, you know, my phone like this. I'm going to bump into somebody. We, we want to see. And yet faith is this invitation to believe, to have assurance, to have conviction in something we can't see. I don't know about you, but when I think about things that are unseen, I, I, I don't think of this strong words like conviction and assurance. It feels pretty unstable if I'm walking around in the dark. But that's the invitation of faith. Now, Brennan Manning uh, has a, a quote here that we'll have on the screen. It says, um, he, he makes this comment. He says, we often presume that trust will dispel the confusion, illuminate the darkness, vanquish the uncertainty, and redeem the times. But the crowd of witnesses in Hebrews 11 testifies that this is not the case. Our trust does not bring final clarity on this earth. It does not steal the chaos or dull the pain or provide a crutch. When all else is unclear, the heart of trust says, like Jesus on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. He goes on to say the way of trust is a movement into obscurity, into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. Now, this does not settle well with us. This idea that we don't know what's coming, and not only that, we're going to close our eyes and walk forward. That seems pretty risky. And yet faith is putting our confidence, our assurance, our conviction, our hope in something unseen. And so not only is, is that the definition of faith, but he goes on to say in Hebrews 11, verse 6, he says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so faith is this belief that God, who we cannot see, is real. 
He's real. He does not need us. He is real. And he is, as we have, have sung, uh, that he is the one that we, is holy, holy, holy that we worship. But also faith is the belief that he is the rewarder of those who seek him in truth. That what is coming is better. And we have seen this over and over and over again in Hebrews 11 that they believed in something that they could not see. They believed in inheritance of, of many children, you know, descendants like the stars that they never saw while they lived on earth. That they believed that God would provide. And what Hebrews 11 keeps coming back to telling us is that they believe that God's the rewarder of those who seek him, but they may not even see that on this side of heaven. And so how does this idea of faith, as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen, believing that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who seek him, impact how we make decisions, how we choose. Well, let's look at Moses again in Hebrews 11 and just kind of walk through what we read. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, <clears throat> was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, at this time, Pharaoh is the king, and the king's edict was that all Jewish baby boys would be killed. And so this is what the, the word, that, and when Pharaoh says something, it is true. It will happen. And so as Pharaoh says this now, they are at, at this crossroads of what do we do with this child that was born? And it says, by faith, his parents saw that the child was beautiful. Every parent thinks their own child is beautiful, right? But what is this? I want us to focus on something here. They saw. They saw something deeper. Obviously, they loved their child. Obviously, they thought he was beautiful. But they saw something that God was doing. Could they really even know fully who Moses would be? Of course not. But they believed God. And so they took this risk to hide him. They hid him for three months. And now, if you're walking by sight, the king's edict is firm and he will accomplish what he says. Whatever he says goes. But if you're walking by faith, you have spiritual eyes to see and take a risk and to trust in God with this child. And so what is happening here? What, how did they make this decision? Well, they walked by faith and not the fear of man. Instead of walking by what they could see, which would be the fear of the king's edict, they're trusting God. Now, this is huge for the original readers of the book of Hebrews, because at this time, the, the people who are reading the original letter are Jewish Christians. And so now they are in a, in a time where it is okay at that time to be a Jewish person, to be an Israelite, but it was not okay to be a Christian. There was persecution. In fact, it was illegal to be a Christian. And so they are now forced to make this decision. Are, am I going to just bow to the fear of man and just renounce my faith so that I can be a, a, a Jewish person who lives safely? Or am I going to trust in Christ with a recognition that that may cost me something? So this fear of man was very real in that time. Now, for us in our country, um, this kind of fear is not the kind of fear we live with. We don't have a king's edict talking about babies. We don't have, uh, we don't have, it's not illegal to be a Christian in this country. But yet, I think many of us make decisions based upon the fear of man. In fact, I think it would be helpful for us to, to reflect on the weight of people's opinions on our decisions. 
is it an appropriate amount of weight? Because what's at the heart of that is fear. Fear of rejection, fear of misunderstanding, fear of disapproval. It's fear. It's fear of man, fear of what somebody might think of a decision that we make. And the hard part about making decisions based upon what other people think is that if you ask one person, they're going to say, go this way. If you ask another person, they're going to say, go this way. If you ask a third person, they're going to say, go that way. What do you do? We have to have spiritual eyes, like Moses' parents. Say, God, what are you doing? How are you leading me? What are you calling me to step into in this moment, big or small? It walked by faith rather than the fear of man. Where they trusted was in God's promises, in God's faithfulness, God's leadership, and in God's eyes to discern, to listen, to trust in him rather than what they could see, which was the king's edict. And so Moses, first, we're, we're, we see that he lived by faith rather than the fear of man. But as we keep going in this reading, Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, by faith, Moses, when he, has gro- when, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than wealth or greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." So now if you remember the story, Pharaoh is adopted, I'm sorry, Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Pharaoh's daughter raises Moses like like her own child. But when Moses gets old enough to realize that he is a Jew, that he's an Israelite, and that his people in Egypt at this time are in slavery, in oppressive slavery, uh, burdened upon burden upon burden put on his people, he gets angry. He doesn't always handle that well, if you remember the story. Um, But in that moment, he has to decide. Am I going to stay in the palace? Am I going to enjoy the the comfort of the palace and and all the things that come with that? Or am I going to associate myself with the people of God and the God who is leading them to my great peril? Because what they were experiencing at that point was mistreatment, it says, punishment, burdens, slavery, And Moses has to decide. And what he does is he makes a decision to say, you know what? I'm not going to associate with the palace. I'm going to associate with the people of God. And the way that the author of Hebrews puts this, I've I've always appreciated that that he chose, again, long story, one sentence to describe it, but he chose, instead of luxury of the palace, agony. Instead of comfort, he chose suffering. Instead of, of, of being able to say, hey, you know, just live a quiet life, just don't say much and just kind of live it out in the palace, he chose persecution. Why would anyone ever do that? Well, we're told, he says, he walked by faith rather than fleeting pleasures or passing pleasures. He walked by faith. And so what do we mean by that? This fleeting pleasures. Well, there is something about us. Every decision we make, again, if we go back to, do I want to work outside or I want to work inside? It's what I want to do. And so almost every decision we make has something to do with, if I make this decision, what I hope will come is what I want. 
And living in our culture and our time and all the things that go with that, oftentimes what that means is we go, okay, if I make this decision, then I will get comfort. If I make this decision, then I will get success. If I make this decision, I, I will get self-preservation. If I make this decision, I'll get security. I'll get pleasure, whatever it is. We make decisions based upon the outcome that we hope it will, it will bring us. And what the author of Hebrews is saying about Moses here is that he saw those from an eternal perspective. He recognized that, yes, he could live in the palace. But he said, I'm willing to lay that down because all of that is passing, fleeting. The lie that we often believe is that those things, whether it's comfort or security or pleasure, whatever it is, that that will answer all the longings of our heart. What we see in Moses' faith is that it's fleeting, it's passing, it's a breath. And what does it say? He was looking to the reward. He knew there was more. The ultimate longing of his heart was found in the Lord. Look at verse 26. He says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Uh, I love that <clears throat> phrase because this idea, obviously Moses doesn't know Jesus' name at this point, but he's looking to the truth that God would one day redeem all things and all day, one day restore all things through the Messiah. And so he, is, he is, has this recognition. I think I shared this even a couple of weeks ago about that, like that, um, uh, that parable that Jesus shared where you find a treasure that is so valuable in a field that what does he do? He goes home, he sells everything he has so he could buy this field so he could have the treasure. The treasure of knowing God, the treasure of the reward was better than anything else that was passing or fleeting in this time. He doesn't, choose the palace. Instead, he chooses the greater reward. And so we have Moses. He's walking by faith, not the fear of man. He's walking by faith and not the fleeting pleasures that often just drive most of our decisions. But look at verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, think about this for a moment. We know this story. Right after they leave, they're, they're leaving Egypt. And they come up and God says, go this way. And as they go that way, they come upon the Red Sea. And guess what's behind them is Pharaoh's army. They're hemmed in on both sides. There's a sea they can't pass and there's an army behind them. And so what do they do? Exodus uh, 14 tells us, I'm not going to turn there, but I'll have it on the screen. It says, Moses said to the people, fear not. In this moment of ultimate fear, army, water, hemmed in, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, the ones coming with their chariots, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. This moment of faith here, what is it? Hemmed in on both sides. I think the way I would put it is it's walking by faith rather than control. 
It's walking by faith rather than sight. Because if you think about it, they have no framework for how God will do this. They have not seen a see part yet. They have no framework. And they're not girding themselves up to fight against the army that's coming. He says, you be silent. The Lord will deliver you today. And I think for us, oftentimes our, our challenge is that we want to control everything. We want to walk by sight. You know, I taught my daughter earlier this year how to drive and um, talk about an act of releasing control. Um, uh, and, but part of what I realized pretty quickly along the way is what I was actually teaching is not really the mechanics of driving. That's not that hard. It was to see what I can see when you're driving because I've been driving for decades. And so you see it. You see that car is about to pull out. You see that car behind you is going to get over and you need to get over. You're seeing all the things you can see when you're driving. And yet we never just close our eyes and drive, right? You know, that's, that's not good. <laughs> but this invitation here is not to drive home today from church with our eyes closed. But the invitation is faith. In the midst of what we want so deeply to control, ah, I want to control the future, I want to control this, I want to control that. We can't. Stand by, have faith, stand firm, and watch the Lord do what he's going to do. He will fight for you. And it may be that today even something is in your life and you're going, I'm feeling hemmed in on both sides. I've got an army coming, I've got a sea in front of me, and I have no idea how God's going to do this. We walk by faith, not control. So Moses, as you see, faith is, faith is bigger than the king's edict. Faith is bigger than the fear of man. Faith, faith is bigger than the, than the passing pleasures, the things that we think will answer all of our longings. They're just passing, they're just fleeting. Faith is bigger than what we can control. But I don't want to miss this. Verse 28. He says, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Passover is one of the most beautiful pictures of both justice and mercy. If you remember what happened, the, the, the last plague to come into Egypt to release the people was that, that the death of the firstborn all across Egypt. And so what God said to the people of God is that you, I'm going to give you a provision. If you will go and you will kill a lamb and you put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house, that tonight when the Passover angel comes, he will pass over your house because he will see death has been accomplished and that lamb will have died in the place of the firstborn. And so there's something here in this moment where they had to trust God to deliver them from this plague. This plague that was coming that was going to kill the firstborn in all of Egypt. But also in that Passover moment, one of the things that, the, uh, that God called them to do, he says, I want you to be dressed. I want you to be packed. I want you to be ready to go. Basically eat that meal like some of you eat breakfast on the way out the door. Like, just eat that Passover meal with your traveling clothes on. What does that mean? It means not only are you going to be delivered from this plague, but that you have faith that we're leaving tonight. After generation after generation of slavery in Egypt, tonight's the night we're leaving. 
So by faith, they killed the lamb. By faith, they put the blood on the doorpost. By faith, they have their traveling clothes ready. And by faith, they say, we're gonna go. What we see in Passover is this beautiful picture of deliverance and promise. I'm delivering you from the plague and I'm giving you a promise that we are tonight, we're going and we're heading towards the promised land. Now, as believers in Jesus, Passover is such a picture. It just shows us Christ. That Christ, as we're told, is the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. That if we believe in him, then we believe that his death was in our place. That he died once and for all so that we would not have to die. And that if we believe in him or if we put the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of our lives, then what we're saying is that we believe he delivers us from the plague. He delivers us from sin and death. We have forgiveness of sin, as we said. But he also invites us to trust him to the promise of where we're going. A new heavens and a new earth. And our sort of Passover is what we do every week when we celebrate communion. Communion, when Jesus instituted it, it was the Passover meal. And what he did is he, he took the bread and he took the cup and he gave it a new significance. He said, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood, that I am dying in your place. Death has happened and it had to happen to satiate the justice of God. But with that comes the mercy that only God could give that he delivers us from sin and death. And that he calls us and invites us to trust him for the promise. As Hebrews, as we've seen over the last few weeks, calls it a better and heavenly city, a new heavens and a new earth. And so I think the ultimate question for us is, yes, will we trust God over the fear of man? Yes, will we trust God uh, you know, over the, the passing pleasures of sin? Yes, will we trust God over control? But ultimately, the only reason we can do that is if we trust in God as our deliverer, who will keep the promise he has made to us to be with him forever. Faith is believing that he exists and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Let's pray and uh, prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we, <clears throat> we thank you for this passage that highlights the call to faith, the call to believe. And so, Lord, as we reflect and, and prepare our hearts to take communion, let's reflect on these questions for a moment. Is the fear of man choking your availability to trust in God? is something that's passing, it's not eternal, controlling your decision-making. It's holding tightly to control, keeping us from trusting. As we reflect on those 
we come back to what Christ has done for us. That he died once and for all to deliver us from sin and death. And he rose from the dead as the first fruits. We wait and long for our resurrection. And he says he's returning to come back to take us to be with him forever. And so today, may our faith in God alone as our deliverer, and may our faith in God alone as the one who keeps his promises actually drive us to trust him in the everyday. Lord, would you lead us to not make decisions based upon all the other ways we typically do, but to live a life by faith because you are the one who delivers, you are the one who provides, and you are faithful to your promise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.